Good morning, everybody. I am Mike Palmer. I'm the uh, pastor of care here at LifePoint Church. And whether you're here in person with us or joining us online, we are so glad that you have taken the time to join us to worship this morning. Um, We are in week three of our sermon series called ReChurch. And how many of you had like one of those Marvel Avenger moments when it went from that really soft scene to that boom, ReChurch? Right. That was pretty nice. I like um, how it transitioned. And we really wanted to hit you with that because we want you to keep in mind at the forefront uh, that we want to reengage and we want to share uh, our definition. It's a made up word. You've heard Joe say it a couple words. We do that as preachers. You know, we make up words, but we try to define them when we make them up as well. So we want to define uh, rechurch for you and what that means. It is a verb and you'll see it come up on the slide here in just a second. But it is it is a verb. And Here's the definition of rechurch. It is to engage in a fresh way with the miracle movement called the church. Let's read that together. To engage in a fresh way with the miracle movement called the church. So uh, what you did here, and I picked it up last week, I was listening to the sermon, um, is that Joe said that we are an unstoppable movement, that the church is an unstoppable movement. Amen. I appreciate that. And you can say amen anytime you want to. I used to be a Baptist preacher. Just yell it out. It doesn't even have to, doesn't even have to fit. Just say it if you feel it, right? Um, but we are an unstoppable movement. And a movement, by definition, is a, a group of people working together to advance their shared beliefs, their shared ideas. And so we, as the church, are an unstoppable movement. We are a group of people who are going out and sharing our, uh, uh, advancing our shared beliefs, our shared ideas, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And, And so as the unstoppable movement, I want to just remind you of this, that as this unstoppable movement, by definition, we cannot be stopped, but it is possible for us to get off track. It is possible for us to lose our way if we're not careful. Many of you know I was in the Army. Any military folks out there, just let me say thank you to you guys. Amen. See, that was really so I get some applause. That's really what that was about. Um, it worked. Um, but I, when I was in the military, one of the things I really uh, enjoyed, and I didn't know I would enjoy it as much as I did, was map reading and land navigation. I grew up in a city, a big city. Um, and so I, I didn't spend a lot of time other than being a Cub Scout out in the woods, but that was just kind of some basic camping. But I was really fascinated by just learning how to read a map, no roads or anything, just terrain, and learning about how to identify you know, the high points and the low points, the hilltops and the depressions, and then learning how to um, determine whether uh, one side of a mountain was steeper than the other side by the spacing of, spacing of the ridge lines. And it was just really cool for me to just learn that. And I just was fascinated with it. And so part of our land nav, of course, was we would have to, you know, take the compass and you kind of shoot your azimuth, you know, your direction, and you would head out from the point you were at to uh, a destination out there somewhere. But what was important for us, for those of you who know, and you don't have to be a, a service member or you, you might hunt or hike and you know these things. Um, one of the things that was important was that somewhere along the journey, we had to check the compass. We had to take the compass out, open it up, shoot our direction so that we would know we were still on track. 
And we had to do that to ensure that we were still on the path toward our intended destination, because continuing on a course that was just a little bit off at some point along the journey would get us to the wrong destination. And it would cause us to fail at doing our part of helping our larger team to fulfill our mission. And so when it comes to the church, there's a way for us to check our compass and a way to do that so that we continue on our course to fulfilling our mission of influencing people to find and follow Jesus is to regularly visit what we know as the great commission given to us by Jesus to close out the gospel of Matthew. And so let me read it to you. It's Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Now, the commission itself uh, starts uh, in verse 18, 18 through 20. But I want to start at verse 16 and read it for you. I'm reading from the New Living Translation of the Bible. It says, then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. I feel like I should say that loud. There's like an exclamation point at the end of that one. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son. That was like the King James Version. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is our call to action. This is what we are. We are all required to do. Jesus is not giving us an option here. He's giving us a command. Although we have differing gifts and we serve in different areas. This is one thing that everyone in this room, everyone who professes to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Is required to do. This is our call to action. I, I, um, I know. Well, let me say this. It, part of this is to baptize, right? Baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, I need to put this disclaimer on it because I don't want anybody to catch me outside in the lobby and say, hey, well, why didn't you talk more about this? Well, next week is baptism. And we're going to hear more about it in the sermon. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you pray this week and you decide, you know, when you come back, you want to be baptized, there'll be space for you to get baptized next week. So I'm not going to dig into that too much. I'm going to let you uh, just wait. And, and this will ensure at least that you listen to part of next week's message. Right. So uh, I won't get too far in that. But what I do want to say about making disciples is that we are responsible for both making disciples and marking disciples. We want to make disciples, but we want to mark them by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that is part of our responsibility. But how many of you know that, that making disciples, as easy as it sounds, is not really that easy? Amen? It just isn't that easy for all of us. And so what I want to share with you is just some things that will help to encourage you to be able to go out and make disciples. And the first thing I want to encourage you to do is to believe in yourself the way Jesus believes in you. Let me show it to you in the scriptures back in verses 16 and 17. It says, then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, what did they do? They worshiped him. Right. But then it says, but some of them doubted. 
Now, in this moment, this is a moment of worship. They saw him and they began to worship him. But in that moment of worship, there was still some doubt. And I want to just suggest that this is a picture of church every Sunday morning. That when we come to worship, there is still some doubt in the room. And let me explain what that doubt is, because this is not a settled uh, unbelief in Jesus Christ. This doubt that we are hearing about from these disciples and the doubt that we experience even as we come to worship today is that um, we don't we believe in Christ. I mean, they came to the mountain. They were told by a third party to show up on the mountain and they showed up. Right. They had some faith. But what they are doing here in doubting is expressing some hesitancy and some uncertainty. And I think every Sunday morning we come in to worship. We are a room full of worshipers, but there's still some of us who come because of circumstances. We hesitate. We are uncertain about some things. And that's part of why we worship is because we want the strength. We want Jesus. We want God to pour into us so that we can deal with the uncertainty and the hesitancy in our lives. And so these guys were worshiping, but there was that doubt. They were very much like us. But look at what Jesus does in that moment. He's standing with his disciples. They are worshiping him and some of them are doubting. And if you look at what Jesus says, as a matter of fact, Eugene Peterson uh, says uh, Jesus undeterred is how he says it. He gives them all the commission. He does not give him give the commission just to those who are not doubting. Jesus says this is for every last one of you. Why? Because he understood that they were all because they were professed believers in him, because they had been with him, because they had learned what they learned, that they were equipped to go out, even though their condition in that moment had caused them some uncertainty. And I want you to know that no matter what you're going through, even though you're dealing with some uncertainty and you may be a little hesitant to share the gospel with others, God still wants you to know that you are equipped to take this word of God, the gospel of Jesus and share it with others. You can make a difference in other people's lives. Don't let your circumstances and others outside of you cause you to doubt your strength, your ability, your gift to go and share the gospel with others. As a matter of fact, it's when you're at that low point, it's when you're going through things that you really might need to go and share that with somebody. Because there are people out there who are not here because of uncertainty, because of hesitancy, and they need to know that we are real, that we're not just uh, sitting here just with holy hands and we're lifting them up and everything's all right and we're singing kumbaya. They need to know that we're real people with real problems and that we're willing to share those things with them and help them to get out of those things like we have. I had an opportunity a few weeks ago to talk to the high schoolers. Um, Ryan invited me to come to worship night. Now, Ryan got me because he didn't tell me the thing was outside until after I committed. It was dark. It was the wind was blowing, you know, but it was fun. I had a good time. But they were talking about change. The, The students are talking about just change, you know, going through changes. And so I um you know, we looked at the story of David and Goliath and um, we, I talked to them, you know, just about having confidence through those seasons of change that they will, that we all go through in life. And I talked about having confidence in three areas, in your experiences, your existence uh, and your expectations. Have confidence in where you've been, where you are, where you're going, basically was the message. And um, to, to get into that, I told them a story about a conversation I had with a buddy of mine. He's a pastor and we kind of run things by each other sometimes with reading the Bible, studying, preparing for sermons, uh, preparing, preparing sermons. And we're talking about that moment in Matthew chapter 14 uh, when 
Jesus walked on water. But you guys know who else walked on water just for a little bit, right? Peter. And in that moment, you know, Peter, uh, Jesus comes out. The disciples are afraid. There's a storm going on. He's like, ah, guys, you know, calm down. It's me. Don't be afraid. And Peter being Peter says, well, if it's you, um, you know, give me the ability to come do what you're doing. And Jesus does. He says, come with that word. He gives them the ability to go walk on the water. And the story says uh, that he goes out and he walks. And um, but then he looks around and he notices the wind and the waves. Right. And what happens? He starts to sink. Yeah, he starts to sink. And in that moment, my buddy was telling me that, you know, that Jesus, it was his understanding that Jesus, when he looked around, you know, he took his eyes off. I mean, not when Jesus, but Peter looked around, he took his eyes off Jesus and he lost faith in Jesus. And and my argument back to him was, and this is where I jumped into it with the with the high schoolers. My argument was, uh, I don't think he lost faith in Jesus as much as he lost faith in the ability to do what Jesus had gave him to do. He lost faith in what God had put inside of him, the ability. And, and I just want you to know that when it comes to going and making disciples, there are those of us who experience the uncertainty and hesitation, not because of who Jesus is, because of who we are. And we begin to doubt whether we're good enough or know enough for him to make disciples through us. But God has already gifted us to be able to do it. We're here. And that's what he has done. And so... Uh, What I'm saying is don't lose faith in the ability that God has already given you to make disciples of other people. Amen. Just as Jesus believed in those doubting disciples on that mountain, he believes in you. He believes in me. He believes that as baptized believers in him, that we are prepared to change lives by sharing the gospel. And I just encourage you to believe in yourself the way Jesus believes in you. Secondly, I I want to charge you to go actively and intentionally. You know, one of the things that most people know, verse 19 says, go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, And one of the things that everybody will tell you, uh, no matter who it is, uh, if you ask them if they know anything about the Great Commission, they will tell you that they understand that we are supposed to go. Everybody say go. Go. Right. That's what that's what we know. We know we're supposed to go. We just don't all the time. And I looked up the word go and it's a Greek word. Remember I told you how we make up words. I did not want to try to pronounce this Greek word because then I would have made up two words and you already have, you know, we we already gave you one. I didn't want to overload you with made up preacher words. But in the in the Greek language, it, it, it does mean to travel. It means to go on a journey. It means to take a walk. That's what the, the word means as it's used in the gospel here in Matthew. But it also means to live. And I was really fascinated by that because what it means for us is that making disciples is not an optional responsibility. It is a lifestyle that we have committed ourselves to as followers, as disciples of Jesus Christ. This is something that we are to leave here living. This is part of who we are. We cannot detach ourselves from the responsibility of making disciples for Jesus Christ when we have professed our faith in Jesus Christ. It's a package deal, you guys. We need to make sure that we are not separating ourselves and we have to go out knowing that this is a lifestyle. We are, if you don't remember anything that I say today, remember this, that we are to be a going church for a coming Christ. A going church 
for coming Christ. And because he's coming, we are responsible to do this. Now, when we hear the word go, I got to watch the clock because I've already thrown some extra stuff in there for you guys. <laughs> you know, it gets good. It gets good. Right. Um, what was I going to say? Um, so go. That's what, that's what, yeah, somebody should have just said go, and I would have remembered. So go. When we, when we think about going, um, there is this outward movement, and we want you to hold on to that. But don't forget this, that making disciples, uh, uh, in order to make, for it to, make, to make it happen, uh, it involves actively going and intentionally bringing in. So there is the going out, but don't forget about the bringing in, because if Jesus is coming back, we want to make sure that we brought more in to experience the to experience the coming back of Jesus Christ. So this means that in addition to making disciples of the lost in our immediate families and our communities, we are also called to go and bring in people who may not look like us. Go and bring in people who may not live like us. Go and bring in people who may not initially believe what we believe. And the question is, what's the difference? How do I do it differently if I, between knowing somebody and not knowing somebody, between the familiar and the unfamiliar? And I'll just say this, aside from you likely having a personal relationship with somebody in your family or in your community, the command stays the same. Make disciples, Make sure they're baptized and teach them to obey all the commands I have given you. The command is the same. So you don't have to find another set of rules for people you don't know. Use the same set of rules that are found in the Bible that you use for people you know and people you don't know. Now, what you may need is a partner. You may need some help. Don't be afraid to go and make disciples in teams, right? You don't have to do this alone. As a matter of fact, you are not alone in this. And so we want to make disciples. But when it comes to teaching, when it comes to making disciples and when it comes to teaching, I want you to know this, that up top it says make disciples. And the word make is actually teach is where we want to teach people. When we get down to the bottom, we're talking about teaching them to obey. Listen to the difference. We are teaching people and we're teaching them to obey. It is about making sure that they're not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word as well. It is about knowing and doing. A lot of times we want people to know, but we don't encourage them to do. And we got to make sure that they know the word, but they're actually being obedient to the word of God as well. There is uh, I was reading and I'm a big fan of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I was reading something where uh, he has an article that is called his pilgrimage to nonviolence. And, you know, he was a huge advocate for nonviolence. And he did an article and it was his pilgrimage just talking about his journey to nonviolence. And uh, he reflects on, uh, you know, the academic influences that led him to believe in nonviolence as a way of life. And he did this by studying, you know, the, the teachings of, of Gandhi and the writings of uh, philosopher Henry David Thoreau and Leo Tolstoy. And his understanding, he, he, he gained this vast intellectual understanding of nonviolence. But he says that his understanding was purely intellectual until 1955, 1956, when he involved himself in the Montgomery bus boycott. And this is what he says. And I quote, living through the actual experience of the protest, nonviolence became more than a method to which I gave intellectual assent. Many issues I had not cleared up intellectually concerning nonviolence 
were now solved in the sphere of practical action. And so in addition to teaching new disciples what the scriptures mean, we must also be willing to teach them the importance of being obedient and participating in the practical action of discipleship so that they, too, will become disciples who make disciples. So go actively and intentionally. And then lastly, um, be comforted when you go. Make sure that you're comforted by the assurance of the presence of Jesus. Verse 20. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, I want you to notice here that Jesus does not say I will be with you. Jesus says I am with you, which means that this is not some promise that Jesus is making. I should have stopped and let him clap. That's how I should have did. Right. I got to eat this up while I can. It means that that this is not a promise that Jesus is making to meet you at some point uh, where you are actively engaged in making disciples. It is a statement of fact that he is with us now and is with us every step of our disciple making journey, this disciple making lifestyle. Now, I would not be doing my job as a preacher of the gospel if I didn't tell you this, because at some point I got to convict you of something in the message. Right. I would not be doing my job if I didn't say this. And this is something I had to hear myself while I was preparing. So whenever we convict you guys, we've already heard it a bunch of times in our own spirit. Um, Just as this statement of assurance that Jesus is with us uh, is as we actively seek opportunities to make disciples, just as this is a statement of assurance that Jesus is with us as we actively seek opportunities to make disciples. Remember this. It is also a statement of conviction that he's also with us when we're not. He doesn't go away when you're not making disciples. He's still with you. Maybe that'll encourage you to make disciples. My point here is I don't want you to do it because I said it. I want you to do it because Jesus said it and he's with us always. Now, as I close this out, I just want to bring into play something Jesus says before this and something Jesus tells us after this, because before this, he says in verse 18, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, Jesus, without a doubt, has all power. But what he states here is that he has all authority, which is more than just power. You see, power is having the ability to get things done. Authority grants permission or the right or the parameters to use the power that we've been given. And so when we put all this together with what he says later in Acts chapter one, verse eight, where he says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We have a clearer picture of the fact that although we've been given purpose and power to go and make decisions, disciples, let's never forget that we must do it only under the authority of Jesus Christ, which means, remember this, that we have to play by his rules and not our own. Because to play by our rules is to lead people astray. And then we start making disciples for ourselves and not disciples of Jesus Christ. And this takes me back to where I said it's possible for us to get off track. It is possible for us to get off track when we start making disciples of our own, when we start to believe the ministry belongs to me, when we believe that this group is mine. No, we go out and bring in for Jesus Christ. 
As a matter of fact, if you had discipled anybody that you have not handed off to somebody else, you have not fully discipled them. Because you should not be the only one in their discipleship circle. There is power and then there's authority. Now, I didn't want to bring this up because the Ravens lost. So I didn't want to really talk about football and the Niners won. You're going to know that I'm a 49ers fan. You know, I just have to, I think they, I, it's an endorsement. I mention it every sermon and the Niners pay me money. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the forgiveness. I need to be discipled a bit more, don't I? Um, but this is not about them. This is just about football. When we talk about power and authority, because if you look on the football field, those guys have a tremendous amount of power and they are they have the ability to exercise that power in the sport that they play. And they exercise that power by going out on offense and moving the ball up and down the field on defense by trying to stop the offense from moving the ball up and down the field. But there was an incident uh, not that long ago. As a matter of fact, I think it might have happened in Cleveland, of all places, where a player decided to throw a punch at a coach. Some of you remember that. He had the power to punch the coach. The coach probably had the power to punch him back. He had power to play the game. He had power to exercise it over other people. But somebody stepped in, reached into their pocket, pulled out a flag and threw him out of the game. That player might have had power, but that referee had authority. That player could only operate within the parameters that the one with authority had given him. And once he stepped outside, the one with the authority had to penalize him and make sure that he understood what he was doing was wrong. Jesus has authority. And even though we have power to go out and make disciples, let's not step outside of the parameters that he gives us because we don't want a flag thrown on us. <laughs> we don't want to be kicked out of the game. Amen. Amen. I just want to encourage you as we as we go to do just that. When you leave here today, I just want you to think about who it is in your life, because we all know somebody who needs to hear about Jesus. Every last one of us, family, friend, coworker. I just want you to actively and intentionally leave here going to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them not just what the word says, but teaching them to obey to actively get involved themselves and remember that Jesus is with us every step of the way. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for blessing us with this time together. We're just so happy uh, that you are entrusting us with this responsibility to go and make disciples. And so we are going to commit ourselves right now to not just going out, but to actively going out and intentionally bringing in those who need to hear your word, those who need to grow in you. And so give us the power to continue operating under your authority, set the parameters for us, 
And just give us the confidence in those moments of uncertainty, those moments of hesitation, to know that we can do it, that we can make disciples who make disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.